You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. The second reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In Romans chapter 1 to 8, as I'm sure you are probably more aware than I, Paul builds up and explains this gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in chapters 9 to 11, he writes about the gospel, the nation of Israel, and the Gentiles. And from chapter 12 onwards, the great apostle Paul gives some very practical advice about living as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we will see together, if you are a Christian, you also have to put your faith into practice. No point being a gunner, gonna do do this and gonna do that. You're to be a doer. How you live your life is to be a reflection of the God that you follow. Not for salvation, but out of obedience to God. So this week and next week, we'll be camping in our tents in Romans chapter 12. So let's have a go, shall we? Verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. As they are now Christians, the old life of these Roman Christians has gone. It's behind them. That is what the Apostle Paul has been leading up to saying. 
He now starts to explain in detail about their showing love of God and living for God alone. Now as Christians, as followers of this Jesus Christ, these Roman believers have a new life and they have new bodies. And Paul exhorts these followers of Jesus Christ to worship God, not just with their mind and with their heart, but with all their body. They are to be as living sacrifices in response to God's mercy, justice, grace and love. Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for the person, so the person must therefore also sacrifice their old ways of living, their old thoughts, their old desires, their old attitudes and their actions which are contrary to Christians and Christian life. They are to go on to live a whole life which is pleasing to God, pleasing to God in their thoughts, their desires, their attitudes and their actions. And why are they to do this? Because that is part of whole life worship of Jesus, the Son of God, whom they claim to follow and worship. Because the whole body of the individual Christian has, from the point of view of God, been declared holy through the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and when the person was declared accepted by God. And as Christians, we are to worship with our whole bodies and minds. As Christians, we've been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit who lives within us, helping, counselling, consoling, comforting, challenging and empowering. Is that your experience of the Holy Spirit? Or is it just me? Sometimes he gives me a good kick. But again, that's probably just me. And it's not just worship in the usual sense of the word as we do here with the help of our fabulous musicians. But it's also to be our ongoing service of God. Jesus, the Son of God, was the servant of humanity, was he not? Therefore we are as children of God to offer service to God in all things that we do as we go about our daily lives. Work, rest and play. We're not to be gunners, going to do this and going to do that. We're to be doers. Doers of whole life worship. How do you think Ringwood would be changed if we were really like that? And if you're struggling in some area of life, encumbered with a concern about sin, then we are to confess to God that sin and ask him to cleanse us afresh and to fill us with his spirit anew. And we are to keep on being filled with this spirit. Not just on Sundays, in the morning and in the evening, but every day of the week and in all areas of our life. And by being filled with the spirit, I meant being controlled by the Spirit, as Paul does when he calls about, talks about it in his letters. And we have to let him guide our thoughts and actions. And if the church and Christians were really to do that, this world really would be changed, would it not? And so we go on in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. 
And speaking of change, we come to that fabulous word transformation as we grow from being a baby to an adult. When you became a Christian, God started transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I hope you're aware of that. And as we we see, that is part of what the Apostle Paul has been saying. In verse 1, he had encouraged them to worship God with all their lives, minds and their bodies. It is transformation of mind and body, which is true worship. Now, another question, how do we do that? It's a fundamental of living a Christian life, transformation. And the process of transformation starts with the Holy Spirit when you accepted Jesus as your God and as your Lord because he comes and lives with inside you. And he is your seal of your salvation and he is the agent of change in your life. Is your life changing? Has it changed since you became a Christian? I'm sure that it has. And this transformation starts in the mind through our reading of the Bible and through our prayer life as we both speak to God and listen to God as he speaks back to us. And of course the world we live in has many different values to that of the Christian, doesn't it? Or indeed the many different churches. And people will try to get us to not change or they will try to get you to compromise and adopt or maintain habits and behaviours that are distinctly not Christian, or again, is that my experience alone? I normally just tell them to get lost. But we are to resist this. And how can we resist this? We can resist this by using the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. It's a fundamental of being a Christian. Because if we resist in our own strength and we rely on our own confidence and power, then we're destined to fail. We may last a little bit, but eventually we'll fall. And by using the power of the Holy Spirit, we can prevail, we can overcome the temptations that come upon us. And we can go on being transformed into the image of God the Son as we live lives of worship to him. What areas of life are you personally struggling with? Accede to the impulse of the Holy Spirit who is quietly urging you, prompting you and encouraging you. Are you listening to his voice as he speaks to you? Or is there so much clamour going on that you have no time to listen? We're to listen to him. And then as we learn to listen to his urges, you will know what God's will is for you in your life. Not only your transformation, but also what you are to do and how you are to go about it to the praise and glory of the God you have decided to love and you claim to serve. We're to worship God, not just with songs, but with our body, our minds and our will. All of these are part of living life holy for God and worshipping him in the 21st century, here in Ringwood and wherever we go every day. Moving on again.
he's walking a tightrope. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now these Roman Christians have a warning from Paul. When Paul had his conversion, God had poured out his grace, the gift of his goodness upon him. So it could be said that Paul's privilege and authority had come from God's grace upon him. Perhaps when Paul says, don't think you are better than you really are, Paul is looking back on his own life and how he used to be. Do you remember how he used to be? He was once a man called Saul, a proud and zealous man for God, a Jew of all Jews, a man eager to please God by persecuting these upstart Christians. We'll get rid of them, won't we? And then all of a sudden, wow, no more. Now called Paul after his conversion, he was an apostle sent by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And surprisingly enough, not to his Jewish friends, but to the Gentiles, the people that he so hated before that he wouldn't even walk with them probably. And it's not only privilege and authority that Paul speaks from, but also from grace, that wonderful gift of God for all people. It was through grace alone that Paul was changed from being the persecutor to being one of those who are persecuted. It is because of grace that you and I are also being transformed. Again I ask, how is your life being transformed? And therefore... Paul goes on, we must not think too highly or too lowly of ourselves, of our skills and our abilities, uh, overestimating or exaggerating either our strengths or our weaknesses. We're to think of ourselves with honesty and with self-accountability. That's why it's also good to be accountable to others, perhaps a good friend or to your Bible study home group. And as Christians, we have to think of ourselves rightly. Not to be so high and mighty that we can fall off our perch. A bit like the Australian cricket team who before the current Ashes series were full of bravado and big talk, weren't they? Not anymore they aren't, let me tell you. They've fallen off their perch and if you think the press has been having to go over here, should try it back home in Australia. The baggy greens, dear oh dear, Donald Bradman should come out of retirement. And as Christians, we're to think of ourselves appropriately, not too highly and not too lowly and not with lustful pride or woe. Faith here means a special gift which God has given everybody who is following his son, Jesus Christ. And so we continue in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Take a quick look around you and you'll notice the different people and the different ways in which they serve God. One result of the Christian life is that each of us belongs to the other, whether you want to be or not. And Paul uses the illustration of the human body. Your body is made up of many parts, each with a distinct purpose and function. You don't need to be a doctor to know that. The heart can't do the job of the liver, and despite any evidence to the contrary, the brain can't do the job of the big toe. Although sometimes my big toe does the job of my brain. And so it is with the church, Christ's body. Paul comes to the expression of the Christian's faith, their gifting. Each of us has special abilities and gifts which we will one day be held accountable before God for their development and their use. Again, I hope you are aware of that. We have these gifts, each of us, because of God's amazing grace towards us. So what are these spiritual gifts? As we're going back to the Greek, where they come back from the Greek word, as I'm sure you're probably aware, charismata. So you can be charismatic without being charismatic. They're also called grace gifts, which refer to any gift that God gives out of the abundance of his grace, and they're given to all Christians as God sees fit. And as you can see on the screen behind me, there are four main passages in the New Testament regarding all kinds of spiritual gifts. I personally think that they are representative of spiritual gifts and I do not think they are to be taken as a conclusive listing. For instance, leading worship with a guitar or keyboard could be seen as a spiritual gift, could it not? And if these gifts, or overall elsewhere, Paul commands that Christians try to excel in gifts that builds up the church. And when the church is built up, Unity will inevitably prevail. And the diversity of spiritual gifts within each local church, here at PBC and others, helps build unity. Spiritual gifts are to be used primarily to bring glory to God and to extend his kingdom here on earth. And if these gifts are not being used for God's purposes, then they are therefore meaningless. If each of us is serving as we ought, then God is being glorified and his kingdom is being extended here on earth. We are one body, the church. We belong to each other, even if we don't particularly want to be. Not just here at PBC, but in other churches in the town as well. And that is connected with each person thinking of themselves appropriately, not too highly, and not too lowly, isn't it? Each of us has gifts, I'm sure you are aware of that, and we have them due to God's generous grace upon us. And here in this passage of Romans, Paul lists just seven prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership and kindness. And you'll be pleased to know that we don't have time to go into all of them in any detail now, so I'll perhaps just look at three or four briefly of what to most people are perhaps the least spectacular of gifts. And our first one, 
hopefully, is serving. Firstly, the gift of serving. And some people do indeed have a gift of serving and are particularly good at doing it. However, serving is for all Christians, whether they specifically have this gift or not. This serving is done by offering assistance to other people and in so doing we also serve the God we claim to follow. And we're to serve wholeheartedly, not just other Christians, but all others including our enemies, those that despise and ridicule us. Serving others is a way of loving others. Serving is love in action. Serving is love getting its hands and feet dirty in service of others. And when we as Christians serve and help others, we are reflecting the actions of the Jesus that we claim to follow. Because after all, he was the great servant, wasn't he? And when we serve in any capacity, then God's honour and glory is released and increased. And this happens because service shows the beauty and glory of Jesus. It shows it to those being served as it comes out from the person doing the serving and to those watching. God's glory and supremacy is to be the ultimate goal of our service. And our next one is perhaps one of the most underestimated yet amazing gifts. Encouraging. Why is it amazing? Because of the impact that it can have on the receivers of encouragement. This could mean anything from exhorting to comforting to counselling to consoling and it could also mean rebuking gently. The encourager is to build people up in their faith and life with comforting words or a gift of appreciation and sometimes even with the words of warning. That's encouragement too, isn't it? And the gift of encouraging can be applied to the other gifts in this list, prophecy, preaching, serving or teaching, as well as in the next gift, next gift in this list to come. An encouragement can be done from the platform up here to many people, or it can be done mostly person to person. Can it not? Quick phone call? Haven't seen that person for a few weeks? Give them a call. Be a bit more radical and save the post office and send them a postcard. Encouragers are to urge people to respond rightly to God. Encouragers strengthen the weak and comfort those who are in sorrow. Remember, Paul also had a great encourager too, didn't he? What was his name? Barnabas. By the way, I don't mind if you speak while I'm speaking, because I do when you speak. <laughs> Sometimes I even predict what you're going to say before you even say it, like I did at Moreland's. Every Christian can encourage somebody else, even without having the specific gift of encouragement. And as we saw in verse 5, as Christians we belong to each other. So let us be practical in our encouragement of the other person. Perhaps the next person you speak to will need a word of encouragement. What will you do? Will you encourage that person or will you simply ignore their need? Who are your encouragers? Have you made sure they know how much they appreciate 
or you appreciate their encouragement upon you. And of course, God, the Holy Spirit, is also the great encourager, always encouraging us to live obedient lives worthy of Jesus Christ, whom we claim to follow as we're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Will you listen to his encouragement of you as he urges you to go encourage somebody else? Or again, will you simply ignore his encouraging voice to do so? For example, when was the last time you offered encouragement to the admin team who work hard to ensure the notice sheets are printed and help maintain the smooth running of this church? Because they do an awful lot, you know. Or the stewards, both inside the church and out in the car park, particularly in the middle of winter. Not my gifting, I know that for sure. And we go onwards. If it's giving, then give generously. And now we have a gift which echoes that of God, the gift of giving. When we give to others, contributing to those in need, we are to give generously and liberally. I wonder if that describes your giving. I don't think it means just finance, but it could also mean time to spend with people, listening to them, praying with them. Again, some people have this amazing gift. I most of the time don't have the patience. I know my weakness. And these people are able to give just like that generously and liberally. And young me and I have met some of these most amazing people over the last eight months. We wouldn't be here without them as they respond to God. And if you're, and if we can be, we can all be givers to some extent or another. And why do we give? We are not to give to others in the hope of giving something in return for that help. Giving to others is for the benefit of the person being helped and not to be for our own benefit. Again, does that describe you when you give or when you are the recipient of generosity from other people? And too often we use the excuse of it being poor stewardship of our money or of our time or our counsel as a reason not to give generously, don't we? Or again, is that just me? And if you're in need and somebody offers to help you generously, how do you react Do you accept with humility and a grateful heart, not thinking too highly or lowly of yourself, and giving thanks to God for his provision through other people? Or are you too proud to accept the help of God as he uses other people as his hands and feet? I've met people like that. And too often we can hinder the work of God in our lives because we're too proud to accept the help when it's offered. Moving quickly on, we're to show mercy. And not only show mercy, but to do it cheerfully. This is another amazing yet underestimated gift. We could also call this the gift of kindness in some translations. Not from the nearly inerrant version, but in others. And we know that God is a God of mercy and kindness and therefore those who claim to follow him must also be cheerfully kind and merciful to other people when they meet who are in need. 
And some people, again, have this amazing ability to do so. And they certainly have this gift and they give off a wow factor about God to other people. Again, though, however, all Christians should seek to be kind and to be merciful. Visiting the sick, caring for the elderly, checking up on that person that you haven't seen in church for the last three weeks, looking after the unemployed, the orphans, the widows, the homeless and the destitute, which are increasing on our streets, particularly down in Bournemouth. It's almost like London down there. And one way to do it cheerfully and gladly is to do it as a generous thanksgiving to God. If you're able to help people with kindness and mercy, you need to show you are happy to help. The word Paul uses here is hilarity. We get the word hilarious from it. Laughter can be good medicine when it's used appropriately, can't it? The current Australian cricket team must have this gift given the hilarity that they've caused these past couple of weeks, surely. How are you and we as a church being kind and merciful to people in need? Are we using our imagination and creativity to be kind and merciful, helping people to be a part of the church community? Let each of us use our imagination and creativity to help those in need with kindness and mercy. How are you helping those in need? The homeless, the aged, the infirm, the hungry, the jobless. How are you showing them genuine kindness and mercy and with cheer? Well, you'll be pleased to know we're coming to an end. So let's recapitulate and then conclude. And there is a difference. Firstly, we saw that we are to give whole life worship to God as we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we will be able to think about ourselves appropriately. And then we saw that as part of our living for Jesus Christ and our transformation into his image, we are to serve God with our various gifting. We looked together tonight briefly at serving, encouraging, giving and mercy or kindness. We are one body, whether we want to be or not. And we have many different opportunities to serve others here generously as we seek to glorify Jesus, both as individuals and as a church here in the New Forest, and as a part of the church in the UK, in Europe, and in this world. Our mission statement is to help people find and follow Jesus. And so with that said, How can we conclude? Oh, shush. There we go. See, I don't know what I'm doing. A couple of questions. How is your life transformation going? Can you and those you know see how you have been and are being transformed? And if you can't tell a difference, ask your wife or your husband. Because I bet that they can. Isn't that right, young me? No, don't you say anything. Can you and those you know see how you have been and are being transformed? What aspects of your life do you need to change in order to give whole life worship of God? 
And as you serve God with your own spiritual gifting, are you thinking of yourselves appropriately and ensuring God gets the glory for what you are doing? Let's keep on being transformed and serving God wholeheartedly for his glory and the extension of his kingdom alone. And I'm sure a few folk here are wondering about the correlation between here in Romans with the passage that Tanya so wonderfully read for us, with the one back in that wonderful book of joy which is Leviticus. The book of Leviticus where more of God's very words are recorded than any other book of the Bible. Well, just as the ancient Israelites were to not follow the practice of the ancient Egyptians and other nations, nor are we to grasp hold of some of the modern practices of those outside the church. Just as the ancient Israelites were to be God's light to the nations, so are we as the church to let Jesus be the shining light through us into our communities in our modern world. He does this as we as individuals and as a Christian community here at PBC are seen to be transformed into his image and serving him with generosity, kindness, mercy and encouragement of others. Is Jesus so shining out of you that you are a light into this community and the communities where you go? As Christians, we are to live and serve whole lives for God and for God alone. We are to be a people who are so sold out for God that people ask why we believe as we do. Just this week, somebody said to me, Dave, you seem so logical and rational, and yet you're a Christian. I said, put it round the other way. I'm a Christian because it is logical and rational. And that's how Jesus shines as a light into our communities. Through the wonderful, continual transformation of you and I in obedience to the God that we love. We're to be a radical community of people where people are loved, valued and we are showing care to each other. We are to serve with what one of the uh, 20th century or early 19th and 20th century theologians called a creative passion for the impossible. Let's go from here, determined to go on living whole lives of worship to God as we are being continually transformed into the image of his Son and showing our service to him in response to his generous giving. We've started, so let's keep on going. Our God is worthy of that, is he not? Let's go out seeking to let Jesus shine through us for his glory alone. And with that we pray. Father, once again we thank you for your written word, we thank you for its comforts and its challenges. And we do indeed pray that we may be seen here as as an attraction for Jesus into our community down here in Ringwood. Help each one of us to be a, a shining light of Jesus into those that we meet. And we ask this again, Father, through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
who lives within us and empowers us. Amen.